0: The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. Join me in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Over the next several weeks, as we move through chapters 8 and 9, a series within the series of 2 Corinthians on generosity, as Paul here extensively deals with the why of generosity. Not just the what, but the why. And today we take up the subject of the source of generosity, 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 7. I invite you to stand as I read, please. Not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, then by the will of God to us, accordingly. We urge Titus, that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that that would be true among us in an ever-growing way. That we would excel in this act of grace. That you would continue to birth in us generosity. That you would lead us to be your people in every way of our lives. Lord, take this text today and encourage us. Take this text and instruct us Lead us into your way, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. As we begin this section on generosity, I want to express my gratitude to God for having the blessing of witnessing and receiving the joyful generosity of you as a church. I have learned much from you. As your pastor, I have seen much in you, and I pray that it would continue only to grow. You have taught me, and you have encouraged me. And my prayer over the next several weeks is that we would continue to teach and encourage one another, not just in our times of preaching, but in our times of growth group and in study together. Paul does not just give a simple injunction here to the Corinthians, give. He does something very different. He teaches God-centered generosity. So what he does here is a theology of giving. He's answering the why question, not primarily the what. So here's the main idea today of this message. Generosity births from recognizing and realizing that God is the gracious source of giving. Now, let me, let me tell you what I mean by recognizing and realizing. You say, well, that's the same thing. No, recognizing means you see it, so you see that God is the gracious source. Realizing is experiencing. But actually, you're experiencing it in your life that God is the gracious source of giving. Now look, look at chapter 7, last verse. I rejoice because I have complete confidence in you. So Paul is moving from this statement that he has. Confidence in them, not a not a man centered, but a God centered confidence. A little more explained in Philippians one, verse six. For I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So what Paul is saying, I am confident in Christ in you, that you are going to continue to grow as Christians in Corinth, and you're going to move toward obedience. And as a result, beginning in chapter 8, some of your translations begin with the word now. He's going to start addressing areas of obedience that he's confident because of Christ in them that they're going to respond to. The first one is the area of generosity. So I just want to ask a question to myself. You can ask it with me. Why do I struggle with generosity? Why is, this, why is this just a part of who we are? You hear people say this. Children are so innocent. And I say, you've not been around kids very much. <laughs> Besides mama and dada, one of the first words your child's going to learn is mine, mine. Put three or four of these innocent sweet people in a room when they're about two or three years old and put one toy in there. Mine! We are, because of our sinful nature, we are by nature selfish people. Selfishness runs head on to the thought of generosity. So the question really is, how do we overcome selfishness and move toward generosity. So my main idea is the point today. Generosity births from recognizing and realizing that God is the gracious source of giving. He lays it down in verse one. We want you to know brothers and sisters about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So the focus is not the churches of Macedonia. They're an example, we'll get to them in a moment. The focus is the middle of the verse. He wants them to know, that is to see and to experience, that's what the Bible means by know, recognize and realize about the grace of God that has been given among the churches. The focus is God's grace, what God has given. This is what's called the divine passive. This is a work of God. You have nothing to do with it. This is God's work and God's alone. It is the grace of God. You don't earn it or deserve it. Study any religion, any religion. And Christianity gets twisted into this. Study any religion. Giving is tied to gaining the deity's favor. That if I'll give, he'll notice me and he'll like me. And whether that's overtly said or believed, that is out among us as Christians that we think we're gaining God's favor by giving. This text turns it on its head. The grace of God, that which is undeserved, has been given to us. God is the giver. God is the source. So what Paul here is doing, he's overcoming this false separation that we make between God's gifts and God the giver. When you only look at God's gifts, you're going to pervert who God is and what God's doing. You must see God primarily as the source and that any gift is a matter of grace. It has nothing to do with you deserving it. So he uses these Macedonian Christians as examples. Now Macedonia is an area. And in the Macedonian area, there are three churches that Paul has planted that he would be referring to. The church at Berea, the church at Philippi, and the church at Thessalonica. Now, two of those sound familiar, don't they? He wrote a letter to the Philippians, and he wrote a letter to the Thessalonians. So let's turn over to his letter to the Philippians, one of these churches in Macedonia, and look in chapter 4, verse 14, and hear what he said. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you, you Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. So Paul's saying, I brought the gospel to you and you supported me to go take the gospel to somebody else. And listen, nobody else had done this. Even in Thessalonica, so before the church is planted, so he goes to Thessalonica with the gospel, You sent me help for my needs once and again, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit and increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So here's what Paul is saying to Philippians and what he's saying about the Philippians and the other churches of Macedonia is that their liberality, their generosity, is the result of God's grace in their lives. That God is generous and where God's grace is experienced, you see generosity in and through people. Now, back to 2 Corinthians, starting with verse 2, we're going to walk through the example and glean from these Macedonian Christians. First, we see that they are generous despite affliction and poverty. Now, this is a paradox for the American mind. The American mind doesn't put these two things together. How can somebody be generous when they're suffering and poor? For in a severe test of affliction, that means that the Macedonians were persecuted for their faith. In 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 6, he says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. You received the word in much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. By the way, Corinth is located in Achaia. So he's saying you are an example of what it means to be true to Christ even though you're suffering the consequences of being a Christian. Then he says, and in their extreme poverty. Extreme poverty. I don't know what you know about the coal fields of West Virginia, but a modern example would be the churches of Macedonia would be like a church in a coal field of West Virginia, and a church in the greater Charlotte area would be more like Corinth, where there is extreme poverty. And it does relate because there was a gold mine in Macedonia that a couple centuries earlier had dried up, and that's why the poverty was so great. Corinth was lower down on the coast in a major port, and that's why they were so wealthy. So you see these people in extreme poverty who overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So I have to ask you a question. Do I give out of the context of comfort? So in other words, do I decide to give based off of whether or not things are going great for me? I have plenty. You see, in the midst of deep poverty, there overflowed in these people generosity. Now this word generosity is in the Greek the opposite of duplicity or hypocrisy. So it means to have a singleness of heart and undivided simplicity. The Lord had supplied and they trusted he would continue to supply in spite of their poverty. So they gave generously an undivided simplicity. And they were not only generous in the midst of this affliction and and poverty, which for us is a paradox. There's a second paradox. They gave or they were generous beyond their means. They gave according to their means as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. So there's three things you see here. Number one, they gave what they could. So if you looked at their income and their resources, they gave what they could. Second, they gave beyond what they could. Now, how is this possible? How could they give beyond what they could? Second Corinthians 9, verse 7 Answers this: Each one must give as he has decided in his own heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God, now listen to the to the absolute inclusive nature of this language. And God, who is able to make all grace abound to you, so having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Four hundred years ago, John Calvin wrote these words. Sounds like he wrote it in 2020. Listen carefully. The thing that makes us close fisted with our money is that we are too careful. We look too far into the future and see possible dangers that might come up and we become cautious and anxious and fretful. And we decide that we can't even do with the smallest part being taken away from us. But the man of God, or the woman of God, depends on God's blessing. And as a result, their mind is set free from worry. And at the same time, their hand is set free for generosity. Tell you a story. I was sitting just outside on the backside of that wall on a bench. Pretty sure it was a Sunday night. There's a man who was a part of our church who's uh, no longer with us. This man had done very well in life and uh, was was wealthy. There's no way to put it. And he was extremely generous. Now, most people didn't know this because he bought his clothes at Walmart. You know, one of those kind of people. You just didn't know. I knew he was generous because he was generous to the student ministry. So this is back in my youth ministry days. And we were sitting on the bench and I said this to him. I said, I hope someday that I can make enough money to be generous. And I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, Jeff Long, you make enough money to be generous right now. It was life changing to me. (laughs) He said, you can't expect that Jesus is going to trust you with more if you're not faithful with little. Brothers and sisters, it's not dependent on how much is in your bank account. It's dependent on how you see that which is in your bank account as to where it came from and what you are to do with it. I told you there were three things in this verse. They gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, don't miss this last phrase, of their own accord. That means they were not coerced, nor were they told what to do. In fact, they asked to help. Verse four, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Now, let me just give you a couple of illustrations here. First, without any kind of being told to do so whatsoever, other than it's something we normally do. Usually every year around Easter, we take an offering to give to North American church planting, to help plant churches in unreached, under-gospeled areas of North America. We decided not to say anything about it because at that time we weren't meeting. We wanted to wait till we were back together to bring up the fact that we could give to this offering without saying anything, nothing. Parkwood gave $44,000, to church planting. That, that's the kind of generosity we're talking about here. At the same time, all of the needs of the church were being met through giving, and you have given nearly $100,000 to help those among us and the poor in this community who are struggling in the midst of the COVID crisis. It's simplicity. It's generosity. It it, it comes from the love of God, the grace of God in your life and it expressed in you loving others. So Paul sums up the Macedonians this way. This sums up a generous person. They are generous in every way. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. This is the starting point of the continued application of generosity. You give yourself to the Lord by the will of God, and then you will give away to others. Romans chapter 12 says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God. So, in light of what Christ has done, that Christ gave himself, he humbled himself, he came to this earth and gave himself on the cross in our place for our sins. He died in our place, was buried and resurrected to bring us salvation. So in view of what Christ has done, he says, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So by the will of God, you give yourself to the Lord. Then he says, verse two, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. (laughs) So I just ask you a question Is the world around you exuding generosity? (laughs) Come on, you know, the world around you says, buy, buy, buy. You live in a consumer culture, consume, consume, consume. He says, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us. That means they had a commitment of the Lordship of Christ. This is the foundation for joyful, sacrificial giving. Which means you got to overcome the mindset that the world is trying to form you into. So if you're going to give to support ministry like these Corinthians, I mean the Macedonians were supporting Paul's ministry of taking the gospel. It's got to first come from your commitment to Christ. But don't miss the second thing. Whatever it is you're generous toward, it must also be under the lordship of Christ. We don't just emotionally give. We give to things that are going to advance the gospel of Christ. So I'll repeat it. True generosity depends less on the size of your bank account than it does with your walk with the Lord. You first give yourself to the Lord. Now so what? Are we, that is Parkwood, collectively and individually, are we recognizing, do we see, and are we realizing, is this actually being experienced, that God is the gracious source of generosity in our actual giving? Verse 6. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, he should complete among you this act of grace. Now to understand that, you've got to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Turn there with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And we're going to pick up in verse one. Now, concerning the collection for the saints. Now what Paul here is referring to is giving to the church in Jerusalem that was experiencing famine. And that's what he's talking about also in 2 Corinthians about the Macedonians. So now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, he didn't direct the Macedonians. Paul assumed they were too poor to give. They asked to give. You also are to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. So there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. Now you got to put the math together. Here's what happened. Titus showed up, no gift. No gift. So Paul is saying you should complete this act of grace. So this previous instruction this agreed upon expectation that they were going to give for the collection of the saints, which they have not yet done, carry out this act of grace. Verse seven. But as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness and in love for you. Now, if you took that and laid it on 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, you'd see these words coming up over and over again. Paul saying, hey, I gave you instruction here. You listened and obeyed. You're excelling. See that you also... Excel in this act of grace also. So what's Paul saying? Here's what's not complete. You're not generous. You're not giving. So, not only do we give that which comes from God alone, here's what we realize. That the very act of giving is a work of God's grace. Do you notice he calls it an act of grace two times? Verse six, complete among you this act of grace Verse 7, excel in this act of grace also. That we realize it is by God's grace that we're able to give. Now turn to Philippians 4 and let's lay down this final principle. Philippians 4, 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, because of the effect of prosperity gospel, which is an American version of Christianity, which is not Christianity at all, whether you consciously are thinking it or not, this is how you've begun to read this text. It's one simple word change. And my God will supply every want of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. It's called name it and claim it. And you're influenced by this. You say you're not, you are. So I'll just illustrate from my life. Let's go back in the last couple of years of Jeff Long's life. I need a new truck. I need to go on vacation. I need some furniture. If I just simply say it this way, I want a new truck. I want to go on vacation. I want some new furniture. Now listen carefully what I'm going to say next. We're not Buddhists. We don't believe that desire is evil. Everything you want is not evil. That's not what I'm preaching. What I'm saying to you is you need to get it delineated in your life Is to what do I need? Now, this need is not just personal. So when God says he's going to supply all of our needs, every need, it's not just the need that I am personally experiencing. It is the need that I have to to support something else. I'm not going to give you a litany of stories today, but I can promise you, even this week, God has supplied in our lives to give away. It's what God does. It's a promise of his word. What we need to recognize and realize is God's supply. We need to see it. Celeste had a pretty simple theology she taught her kids. (laughs) It's probably the most repeated phrase at the Long household. When it started, mine, 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 she would say, it's all the Lord's. When her selfish husband would start complaining about giving something away, she would say, Jeff, it's all the Lord's. About a month ago, I was over at her office and somebody had taken all the paper towels that were stored in a preschool closet. And I was fussing, people just come around here and take whatever they want, they think it's theirs. I should have known what was coming. Jeff, it's it's all the Lord's. This selfish heart has been shaped by God's grace, hear me, through being a part of a generous church and living with a generous wife. That's what Paul's doing here. He's saying, God's the source. Look at how it's played out in the Macedonians. Now now you excel in this act of grace. Be generous. If this sermon started from you, like, yep, come to this church today, whatever preacher's after your money, I'm not after anything from you. I've said this a 100 times times at least. If you ever feel coerced to give at Parkwood, go find somewhere else to give. But God's called you to be generous. He has. If you are a Christian, He's called you to generosity. Find a faithful place to be generous you under the Lordship of Christ and them under the Lordship of Christ. To that end, let's pray. Father, I thank you that in midst of this pandemic and all the confusion, you have supplied through your people that this church has not done without, that the poor around us have not done without, That missionaries have not done without. That the pastors and staff of this local church have not had to do without. We recognize it is all from you, but I recognize, Lord, it is through a generous people. Would you continue to grow us in our generosity? And show us, as Pastor Andrew prayed, how we might help others in our community. Lord, may we always see you as the source and the example and may we humbly give away. Lord, you have made this a place of generosity. Would you grow it and make it even more generous? And may it be cheerful and joyful. Now, Lord, as this song speaks to the very core of this message that this is by the will of God under the Lordship of Christ It is our prayer that you would be magnified in all that we do, But will you be magnified in our generosity. We pray in Christ's name. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.